So, Sunday, February the 12th, um, 2023, we're going to be starting Esther Lesson 5, Chapter 3. So, we've already seen in Chapter 1, uh, Vashti, the Queen's dethronement is published. I have everything with a P word in it. Okay. I've got to make that fit, this it seems like. And then chapter two, we studied the last couple of weeks, is Esther gets promoted to what? Being queen. Now we know the story, right? Again, this is one of these stories in the Bible that think, oh, I know that story. But every time you read it, God will give you something else. And so, uh, and then this story, since there's a lot of unknowns, God always gives us a lot of uh, things if we just study His Word out. And then ch- in chapter 3, we see Haman come on the scene. Everybody should go, boo! You know, nobody likes Haman, you know. And Haman plots against the Jews. So, you have a blank in your chapter 3 there that is... The word plots goes in there. Okay, so the the queen's dethronement is published, Esther gets promoted, and Haman plots. Okay, so let's go ahead and read, we're going to read the whole chapter today, but right now starting off, let's read 1 through 5, verses 1 through 5 of Esther chapter 3. And it said, the word says, after these things, after what things? After everything that went on in chapter 1 and chapter 2, did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him? and set his seat above all the princes that were with him, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and referenced Haman. Now, the key word there is referenced, reverenced, okay? Keep that in the back of your mind. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai, and we met him last, or in chapter 2, Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai. Now that's where Mordecai is at. He has a position. He is sitting in the king's gate, and they come to him and they say, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? And they're like, Dude, why are you not bowing down to Haman? And verse 4 says, Now, uh, it came to pass when they spake daily unto him. So this goes on and on. Every day, Mordecai does not bow to Haman. Everybody else does, except for Mordecai. And so far, Haman doesn't know it, but guess what? The servants are going to tell him. Now, it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. Well, what a good friend are they? I think they're probably thinking, hey, if we gotta to bow to this jerk, you gotta to bow to this guy. Well, I'm sorry, this man, you gotta to bow to this man. And, and so they're kinda of envious. Number one, it's kinda of good. They go to him and talk to him. At least they don't rat him out right off the bat. But when he says, no, he's not gonna do it, then they go and tell Haman. Okay? For he had told them that he was a Jew. Now how's that? fit in the picture. We'll see that in a second. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, there's that word again, reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And let's read six just for fun. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore, when they showed him the people of Mordecai, he's going farther. Wherefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. So we're going to stop right there. We're going to go back and look at this guy, Haman. Okay, just who is this guy, Haman? Okay, so Haman is the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Now, the blank I think you have there is Agagite goes in there. So what does that mean? Okay. Who is that? So, and what is a Agagite? So, you're asking good questions today. We'll see if we can answer all those. So, keep your finger in Esther. And we're going to go back to Numbers 24. Numbers chapter 24. And we're going to read 
1 through 7. And we're going to look at this guy's pedigree. Okay? And when Balaam, oh my! Remember, we just, we just studied Balaam a little bit when we were in, in the book of, of uh, Jude, remember? Balaam's not a good guy, right? And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not out as at other times to seek for enchantments. Well, that's good of him. But he set his face toward the wilderness, and Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel biting in his tents according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said. So in other words, he's looking out over uh, the fields, over the land, and he's like he's in a trance, he's getting a vision, and his eyes are completely open. Okay? That's Balaam. And he's, and verse 4 says, and he hath said that which heard, let me back up, he hath said which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I guess that's why, you know, people look at you and you got that, that stare, they're like, they think you're in a trance. That happens to me a lot, people ask me that. How about you, Mark? Maybe it's just me. Okay. Verse 5. And they go, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob. Now, remember, Balaam was, was hired to curse Jacob, right? And he's just, he's in this trance, and God's given him the words to say. He says, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of line aloes, which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than, what's the word? Agag, Agag and his kingdom, he shall be, now let me back up and read this again, he shall pour the water out of his buckets and, and his seed shall be in many waters and his king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. So it's not talking about Agag and his kingdom being exalted, he's talking about Jacob or Israel is going to be exalted over this guy Agag and his kingdom. So that's the first time you see this guy Agag in the Bible. And so the uh, the and the Agagite that we have in our handout here is basically a descendant of this guy Agag. Okay? So Haman is the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. So they are Haman is related to this guy Agag, which in the prophecy by Balaam is really his kingdom is not going to be over God's. God's kingdom, Israel, is going to be over him. Okay, so now turn over. Now that's clear as mud, right? Turn. We'll keep. We'll keep working on it. Turn over to First Samuel 15, and we're going to read one through 23. Again, we're trying to figure out what's the pedigree of this Haman. What is an Agagite? Well, they're they're from descendants of this king. Agag, and let's get a little more information in 1 Samuel. And Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Oh, wait, yes. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Now does he do that? Does Saul hearken to God's words? Yes and no, right? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he had laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now let me give you a little information. The Amalekites king was Agag. And we'll find that out in the story, but let's keep reading. Okay, So now we know that an Agagite is a descendant of Agag. Agag was a king of the Amalekites. Okay, verse 4. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telium, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart 
Get ye down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, there's the guy, the king again, Agag, the king of the Amalekites alive. Now I had just told you that a few minutes ago, but again, if you don't believe me, what does the scripture say? And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. What did God tell them to do? Kill. Kill. Wipe out everything. Take, take them out. And you know, people read the Bible and they go, oh, that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is just a mean, nasty old God. He told them to kill women and children, but you don't realize who these people were, what they had done to Israel. I mean, we're talking about people that were, uh, child molesters, Baal worshippers. I mean, these were vile people and they were causing Israel problems. And shame, and the reason that God said, okay, to Saul, once he became the king, he says, I want you to go and wipe out the Amalekites, because when Israel came out of Egypt, and when they were in the wilderness, the Amalekites came up from behind and started killing off the young and the children, and attacking Israel. And because they did that, I took notice. They're my enemy, and I want you to go and wipe them utterly off the map. Okay? But Saul doesn't do that. Okay? And then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, verse 10, It repenteth me, I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a place, and has gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Uh, not really. And Samuel said, What meaneth of this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared Notice here, Saul's a wuss because right here he starts blaming the people instead of him. Isn't he the king? Okay. He, he's the leader, but he's blank. He's not acting like one like you said. No. For the people spare the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Okay. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said to him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners. Ooh, now he calls them sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil on the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, in his own testimony there, he, he, he tells on himself, he goes, I brought the king here. Well, that was not part of the deal. Verse 21, but he's, but the people, again, he goes back, number two, he complains about the people. They took of the spoil of the sheep and the oxen. So not only was they supposed to destroy the Amalekites, they were to, to destroy everything they had, including their animals. Okay? And again, You've got to realize that these people were vile. They were doing all kinds of, you know, satanic practices. And God said, and not only that, they've attacked our people. And it's time for them to go take them completely out. And Saul didn't realize that when he brought the king. Yeah, it's like, he goes, I've done that. 
And so that's why God is so upset with him. Or is he just so full of himself that he can't see past himself? I think that's it. When Saul becomes king, now he seems like all the way up and now you can study this out. When Saul becomes king, it's like he gets a me complex and everything he does is all about him. Even David, why in the world would you want to kill your son-in-law? But he goes about to kill him. Why? Because he was a threat to his kingdom and his throne. So it was all about Saul. When you talk about narcissist, that when you go to the dictionary and look at narcissist, you'll see two pictures there. One is Saul and the other one is me. Because I, I have to watch myself. It's all about me too. Yeah, I mean, Saul's picture is there and so is mine. Because I'm telling you, I'll just be honest with you. And we could probably all put our face there, but some of us more than others. Okay, so let's go back. Okay, but the people, verse 21, took of the spoil of the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. Now, and he admits this, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Now, let me give you another illustration, an example here that I'm just throwing out for free today. It's not in my notes. When somebody does wrong, and specifically a Christian, or someone who believes in God, and they do wrong, a lot of times they'll try to put God in the equation to make it sound good. And Saul does the same thing. Well, the people took, they took of it because why? They were going to take it and sacrifice it to the Lord. Sounds good, but it's totally against what God said. And people will do that all the time. They'll, th- they'll try to make it sound godly when they sin. Just keep that in mind. Okay. But the people took of the sheep, the oxen, the chief of the things which they should have utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So that's the people. But where's Samuel? And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great as uh, delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So when we disobey God, it's just as bad as witchcraft. Okay, And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected thee from being king. Now Saul, you know, he goes, now he, he, he kind of comes to his senses here because he's, he's done the same thing the people did. He took Agag and brought him back and the people took of the spoil and brought it back. So the whole group disobeyed what God said. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Well, that's the first smart thing he said so far. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Okay, that could all be true. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from the being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor, which is David, of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. What's the next word say? couple words say. Yet honor me now. now. I'm just throwing that out here. It wasn't in my notes. There's Saul's attitude. Again, why would he honor him? He just said he sinned, he sinned and did what was wrong. Hey, but yet, you know, fix, fix my problem. Honor me, Samuel. I'm surprised God didn't just whack him right then. But anyway, the point I'm trying to get is he told him to utterly wipe out the Amalekites. Agag is the king. If Saul would have done that, there wouldn't be a Haman. Because we were getting this situation with, with, with Haman coming and you guys know the rest of the story. He's the enemy. He's the one that's going to have all the Jews killed. But if Saul would have done what God asked him to do, there would be no Haman. 
Now, let me, let me tell you this. So, Haman is a descendant of Agag, the line that should have been wiped out by Saul years before. Saul is a Benjamite. And guess what Mordecai is? He's of the tribe and Esther. They are of the tribe of Benjamin. So I'm getting a little ahead of my story here and what we're studying. But Saul doesn't take care of the of Agag and the Amalekites. But at the end of Esther, Mordecai will take care. Another Benjaminite will take care of Haman. Okay, we see that. It's interesting. Uh, God just throws that in there. So B, it says, Haman is one, back to Esther. Haman, so we know his pedigree. He's, he's, he's an Agagite. He is a Jew, he is the Jew's enemy. God says that Jacob's kingdom, God's kingdom will be over Agag's kingdom or over the Amalekites. And so, uh, Haman, it's one of the king's princes back in Esther. So let's go back to Esther again. Esther chapter 3. And it says, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set him above all the princes that were with him. So he was one of the princes, and yet Ahasuerus, the king, he advances him and he puts him in charge. He almost brings him up to be number two in the kingdom. Okay, So Haman is one of the king's princes. We know that. Haman gets promoted above all the other king's princes in C. And under D it says Mordecai does not bow to him. So I'm just throwing all the information out about Haman. Who is this guy? So Mordecai does not bow to Haman. Um, and at first you're like, no, wait a minute. That's against the king's commandment. And yet... Not. The the King Hasarius' commandment. But remember when I was reading it and I said they're supposed to bow and give him reverence? That's the key. So when we're talking about just admitting who he is, that's not what the Bible's saying here. Okay? So when so when they were when Haman walked across the king's gate or rode across it on his animal Everyone was supposed to bow to him, but what that means is hit the dirt, put your face on the ground, and give him reverence, and almost to the point of worship. And that's where Mordecai drew the line. He goes, "Uh-uh, I'm not going to do that." And of course, he kind of knew who he was and where his descendants were, and the descendants were still uh, enemies of Israel. And he's like, "I'm not giving this. I'm not worshiping this guy." So it kind of reminds me of some people uh, back in the book of Daniel. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were told they were to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's image. That was the king's command. And yet, they disobeyed it. Sounds really familiar with, with Mordecai. The king's command was to fall down and worship this guy. And Mordecai refuses to do it. He would not bow down to Haman, the Jew's enemy. So he disobeys the king's command. And I, I was thinking about that this morning. And I'm thinking, oh, I always get myself in trouble. I should just keep my mouth shut most of the time. So let me ask you a question. If the President of the United States came in our Sunday school class and sat down right back there, how would I respond? I almost said I'd get up and leave. But that's not what we're supposed to I know. Do. I mean, it would be, it would be tore, wouldn't we? We'd be like, glad you're here, Mr. President, and we really want you to come to the main service and sit right up front. Okay, let me ask it a little farther. What if the Pope came in and sat in the back? How would we respond to him? That should be it. So glad you're here. Would you know? Glad you're here. Listen to the rest of the message here. But also make sure you come to the service. Sit right up front. Listen to the message. Glad you're here. But I tell you one thing: I would not be doing bowing down and kissing his feet. Exactly. That's the same attitude. That's 
That's the same attitude Mordecai has. I mean, we're reading the story and you're like, okay, what's the big deal? Just, you know, bow to the guy and move on. And Mordecai said, uh-uh, not going to happen. Because he is the enemy of my people. Same way the Pope comes in. I'm not kissing his ring like you said, or his feet. Why? Because he is our enemy. Okay. So I'm trying to kind of throw this out, why Mordecai would, would do this. And so Haman, you know, the servants finally tell him, hey, this is one guy back here, and he's not bowing when you come in. So he starts taking notice, and it's like, yeah, the whole group is bowing down. But this one guy, Haman, not Haman, uh, Mordecai is not bowing. And instead of him just letting it ride and go, you know, there's... There's 500 people here. They're all they're all clapping and bowing down, doing everything. And one guy, he's got his hands crossed sitting there. Which is what we do today. Look at the football players, you know, that the national anthem. But um, they disrespect. We have people nowadays that if they're out on the street corner preaching... So are you in jail? They... Cross their arms or mouth off, you know, negative stuff to it. And that's what we're doing today, what they did back then. Okay. I mean, Mordecai is following along with God. And that's what happens today when somebody gets up there. People do follow him and agree with you, but there's also the protesters. Okay. You know that that stand there and mouth against you. And and we should just expect that because that's the way it's always been. So Haman can't stand for Mordecai's disrespect and it starts to weigh on him. He starts to think about it. And then F it says Haman becomes full of wrath. Okay. Verse 5, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Okay. Now, when we go out, now again, Haman's a lost guy, so I can see where he's coming at, but we can't take that approach. So when we go out and give the gospel or do whatever, and, and we are we are talked bad about, hey, right now in India they're beating, they're beating the Christians, they're shooting them. It's, it's and throwing, yeah, it's it's like what in the world, and that's that's how the world treats. You know, Christians. They're going to have a vote too, aren't they? Soon about uh-huh. being Christian is against the law. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I've heard. I haven't followed up on that. But so Haman gets mad here, and he's full of wrath. So now he begins for the rest of the chapter, from verses six through fifteen. He begins to plot. So Haman is prideful, he's narcissistic, and he wants revenge. Yeah, and I mean, he just, he just can't get over this. He can't let it, he can't let it ride. Okay? So Haman sought, now let's read it. Let's read that rest of these. Verse 5. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So now he's taking it to the extreme. Even the people of Mordecai, in verse 7 says, In the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot before Haman, from day Today and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And we'll talk about that here in a second. And Haman said unto the king, Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep thee the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. He's saying it's not for your good will for you to allow these people to even breathe. Verse 9, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it in into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and he gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' what? Enemy. Enemy. 
And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded to the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language in the name of the king Hasarius was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy to kill and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old. Think he was holding a grudge? Little children and women in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. Interesting. And the post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. Now again, in that passage, I just read that day in verse 14, again to remind us, we're talking about a tribulation period here. And so if you want to know about the tribulation period, you need to go back and study the book of Esther. Of course, along with all the Old Testament books and all the New Testament books, because everything focuses to the second coming of Christ. And in that second coming of Christ, we see the tribulation, all the things that take place. Okay. So Haman sought to lay hands on Mordecai, but he said, he decides to include all the Jews worldwide. Worldwide goes in your blank under B. Because basically, the empire, the Persian Empire, was the whole world. And so, again, I, I put that out there to, to, to let us see how prophetic this is because we know at the end that the, the Antichrist is going to start destroying the Jews and it will be a worldwide deal. And so, Haman in the picture, I haven't really pointed out who he's a picture of, but who do you guys think he's a picture of? The Antichrist or Satan himself? Yeah. Or both? Because you can't have one really almost without the other. So, uh, Haman sought to lay the hands on Mordecai, and but he decides he's going to go farther. He's going to kill them all. He studied the issue. He brewed about this. He found out his heritage. So he wants to kill Mordecai. He wants to kill his family. He wants to kill all the Jews. Kind of, again, reminds me of a good biblical movie that I was talking to Angela about a week ago called Open Range. It's a Western movie. And in that movie, Robert Duvall gets up and he says, so they're bringing some... Now, I say biblical movie. I just see biblical principles in the movie, okay? So, <laughs> okay, let me get myself clear here. When, when you start getting a handle on the Bible, everything you go and every place you see, you'll start seeing applications pop out at you. So in this movie, Open Range, Robert Duvall and, I don't know who, um, Costner, Kevin Costner in this movie, and they're, they're taking some cattle across the, the upper Midwest, or, or they're into Montana, and they're taking them to market, but all along the way they're letting them graze, and, and they're called free rangers. Well anyway, they get across a certain place in Montana where there's a rancher that owns the town, mm. owns the sheriff, he doesn't like them because it's taking grass from him, so he wants to kill them, and take their cattle and all this. So that kind of goes on with the movie. But anyway, in the movie, uh, they attack them, they scatter their cows, they, they shoot a couple of the, their hired hands, and they even shoot their dog. So they go into town and, and, and they have this big confrontation, and Robert Duvall gets up and he goes, let me tell you what this guy did and what your sheriff allowed. You guys came into our camp, they scattered our cows, they took half of them, they, they killed two of our hired hands, one of them was, was a 16-year-old boy, they beat him to death and he's laying at the doctor's, and they go, they did this, they did that, and they go, they even shot our dog. And when they said shot their dog, I mean, everybody's just like, you got to be kidding me. That's the same thing here. It's like Haman hates these guys so bad, he's going to kill Mordecai, he's going to kill his family, which... Esther's part of the family, but he doesn't know it yet. And he's even going to kill their dog. I mean, that's the hatred 
Haman has. And you know what? That's what Satan thinks about us. Satan does wants to do the same thing with us. It's like the plan that they were supposed to do with the Amalekites. The enemy took the same plan now and is using on the Jews mm. to yes. wipe them out. Right. It's like it got reversed. <coughs> like what Saul was supposed to do and didn't do. Because they didn't do. Now they have the enemy still and they're taking the same plan to wipe the Jews out now. Okay. Yeah, and, and we see that even in the Old Testament with God with the Jews, you know, He would allow their enemies to come in and destroy them. Why? Because they were disobeying God and worshiping false idols. But then He would always bring them back, you know, as that same cycle goes on. Okay, and so, but here you're right. They start and and do we do we know if Haman knew all this? I would imagine he does know his heritage, and he's like when he found out he's a Jew, he's like ooh. I'm not just going to kill him. Like I said, I'm getting his family and I'm even getting his dog. I mean, that's the attitude. He's going to wipe... I mean, he hates him so bad he can't see. And that's how Satan acts towards us. He wants to kill us. You know, and you hear these people go, well, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, charge hell with a squirt gun and I'm going to do this and that. You don't realize who you're dealing with. Satan wants to destroy us. It's a spiritual war. It's all, yeah. it's all God against the evil that... Yeah. And we're just pawns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're in a battle. Yes. We're in a battle between God and Satan. And God is allowing in that battle for His Word to get out and for people to choose who they want to go with. Yeah. It really it boils down to that. And, you know, it's like people will say all the time, why does God allow bad things to happen? And there are people all the time that are mad at God. Well, number one, because, number one, because of sin in this world, things happen and God allows people to have a choice. And in that choice, people choose to hurt other people. So, uh, the whole thing boils down to, uh, God has given us a choice to follow Him or not follow Him. And what, People blame God for it. It's really not God doing it. It's, he's allowing it, but it's other people. It's Satan himself. It's, it's people that want to destroy people. Always has been. So C says, uh, he picks a date for the massacre. Okay? So, um, uh, that's under C, under uh, Roman numeral number two. So let me show you when he picks a date. Verse seven says, what's that? I don't have a C. You have a D. I skip C. I don't know it. Your handout, my handout, it's not meshing. So okay, all right. So, but it does say he picks a date for the massacre, right? Correct. Okay. So he picks a date. I mean, he starts plotting this all out. I mean, this is no chance. I mean, he starts putting all the he starts crossing the his T's and dotting the I's on this plan. Verse seven says, "In the first month, that is the month of Nisan." In the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, the lot. So pur means lot. Now, what does lot mean? Before Haman, from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. So they cast lot, or they cast pur, to find out when to do this. They rolled the dice. They roll, He rolls the dice... For whoever he's worshiping to decide what day it is they're going to destroy the Jewish people. And they end up on the twelfth month. Okay? So, um, he starts the process on the first of the month. Now let me see if I have this, uh, on here. Okay, let me read that whole verse. In the first month, that is the month Nisan, verse seven, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast per, that is the lot, before Haman, from day to day and from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. So that was the month that was chosen by casting dice to get when this execution is going to be. That, they started that on the first month of the twelfth Year of King Ahasuerus. So let me see if I can get this right for a review. So for a review, Vashti was demoted from being queen on the three and a half year mark of the king's reign. 
Okay. Esther was promoted to the queen on the king's tenth month of his seventh year. So it's, we're seeing the timeline here. And Haman cast lots on the first month of the king's twelfth year. So it has been since Esther has been queen, if you go back and total that all up, I'm seeing that it's totaling up to basically, if you kind of look at it, four years and 14 months. So basically five years and two months. Now, I know you guys don't trust me on that, so go home and run the math. But you gotta, you gotta figure out what month of the year on both of those and all that. But that's what I come up with. Okay? So now we kind of have a timeline. And so Haman's, his decision of when they're going to execute the Jews is going to be on the 12th month of, of, uh, that we see in verse 7. But we see it ends up to be the 13th day of the month, a little farther down in, in the passage. And I've got to read this. I didn't write that down more. That was, um, okay, verse 12. Then were the king's scribe called on the thirteenth day of the first month and was written according to all that Haman had commanded to the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language in the name of the king Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And verse 13, And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month. So they send out the decree on, on basically it would be our January the 13th, and the the execution date is in December the 13th. So they have a full 11 months to get this plan in, in, in take. And so, but I don't understand why 11 months. So maybe you can study that and come and tell me. I hadn't even thought about that till just now. So in this plan, we have a date. We have everything set up. And, he, and he, let me back up a little bit. Under Is it D or what's your next number or letter? D? E. It says he goes to the king and accuses the Jews. Okay. That's the one I want to look at. That is standard procedure. All down through history. For Bible believers. Both Old and New Testament. That is standard procedure. People will start accusing us. And they'll lie in the middle of it. Okay. And so he tells the king that these Jews' laws are diverse from theirs. Let's go back and look at it. Uh, verse 8. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people. That's interesting because we saw at the beginning of the book that there was a certain Jew, Mordecai. Again, this is not a fairy tale. This is the real story. That there was a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. True or false? True. When they, when people want to accuse you of something, or they want to tell a lie, they always want to throw a little truth in there to make it sound believable. Okay? And then it says, neither keep they the king's laws. True or false? I would say true for everything except Mordecai not bowing to the to Haman. But other than that, they're law-abiding citizens. Well, I don't know if they would be called citizens, but they are scattered throughout the kingdom and they, for the most part, abide by his laws. And then it says, therefore, it's not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Okay. So, uh, let's look at this a little bit before we go there. He goes to the king and he accuses the Jews, which I said is standard procedure, and he tells that these Jews' laws are diverse from theirs. Now, um, boy, I'm going to run out of time today, but you know, that's okay. Let's go over to the book of Daniel. And again, you'll see a lot of the same things take place in Daniel, which he's in a foreign land under a foreign king, and yet that match up with Esther because she's also in a foreign land under a foreign king just a few years behind uh, 
uh, Daniel. I gotta figure out where Daniel is. In my Bible, where is it? <laughs> okay. Let's look at Daniel 6.24. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 24 says, well, I'm still not there. And the king commanded and brought those men which had accused Daniel. See, there we have it. And they cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones. Well, wait a minute. And the king commanded, I think I'm in the wrong place, so just bear with me a minute. 624. Now let me back up because I know that's not quite right. I'm looking for where where uh, they were told to do something and they didn't do it. But apparently 624 is not where I want to go. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so let's back up to 3.8. Daniel 3.8. I obviously wrote one of my cross-references wrong. I apologize for that. Daniel 3.8 says... Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews, what? Of not bowing down to the image. Okay, so we, we did talk about that. Uh, so my point here is, they were accused of things. And so, that, that happens all the time. He goes to the king and he accuses the Jews. So, now turn over in the New Testament to, to the book of Matthew, chapter 12 and verse 10. Let's see if I wrote that right. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 10. <laughs> Let's back up to verse 10. That's why I told you 10, right? 12, 10? And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him. Now, they're talking about Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. And and so, again, Jesus is going to be accused. This is this is wild. So, my wife, wife Carrie, and I have been watching the shows The Chosen. And so, I we see this played out. This is kind of cool. I'm, I'm saying, this show's kind of interesting to watch. It's not the Bible, but it still is interesting to watch. So, Here's Jesus. He heals this man's withered arm on the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the scribes that are there just come unglued. Not because he healed a man. Because he did it on the Sabbath. And they just can't get that out of their brain. So they want to, from then on, they start to trap Jesus and they want to accuse him of doing things wrong. So we know that. I'll turn over to Luke chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, 11.54. Let's back up to verse 53. And it says, And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him of. Or accuse him. So that's what's nothing new to Jesus. They were always trying to accuse him. And imagine trying to stump God, or trying to get God to say something that was wrong. Uh, it was impossible, right? And so again, my point is, Bible believers, Old Testament, New Testament, will always be accused of things. Now I want you to go over to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Because there's somebody that does accuse us. And we're going to look and see who that is. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength 
In fact, let's back up to verse 9. We'll get the context. And the great dragon, who's that? Satan. Was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. Okay, so if you ever want somebody wants to know, well, how do you know the dragon in the Bible is Satan? Just go to Revelation 12.9. And that great dragon was cast out. He's cast out of heaven. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, it didn't say that. It said, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So Satan likes to go before God right now and accuse us or tell God of the things that we're doing wrong. And who knows? He's probably twisting them all the time. He's accusing, and he probably has enough info, but yet God's like, it's under the blood, it's under the blood, it's been paid for, it's been paid for, but Satan wants to accuse us, he's the main one that wants to accuse us, and if you're a Christian, there's always somebody that wants to accuse you, okay, so over on, on the next page, and let me wrap it up, he tells these people, he tells the king, Haman does, that the Jews don't keep his laws, okay, I haven't got there yet, right? And again, that's a lie. So I think I'll stop right there. But I'm going to show you next week, we'll start here, that the same thing takes place with Paul. It takes place with his disciples. And it still takes place today. People will accuse us of things. And that's just standard procedure. But that's the same thing that goes on with Mordecai when Haman goes to see the king. He just starts giving him this big spiel. And the thing that's really crazy is the king just doesn't check it out. or He just believes him and he puts this force in action. And like I said, at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, chapter, they sit down to, to drink. But it says, and we'll look at it if you want to study it for next week, it's, but the whole town, the whole city was perplexed. Kings... Oblivious. He doesn't even understand what's going on. He just, Haman, take out these bad people. We don't need them. But yet the whole city's in an uproar like, King, you just did something major wrong here. So we'll, we'll study that and continue on next week. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Esther. And I just pray that we would read this story, that we would see the truth in this story. And we would not only keep it for our knowledge, but we would use it in our, in our, uh, our life to know that when people, people will accuse us of things, that people will say lies about us, but we need to make things, we need to live our life in such a way that nothing, none of that, uh, sticks or, or has any points, Lord. But Lord, we just pray that we would be good witnesses to you, Lord, for you. And Lord, we just ask your blessing upon our lives and upon the rest of our day today in Christ's name. Amen. Sounds like King Biden. I, I was really, I was, oh yeah. Let me turn this off. Let me turn this off. Okay.